I'm Lisa Stone, and you are listening to Season 8 of Parenting Aces. Welcome to Season 8 of the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and this week we are talking coaching education with USPTA head tester, Sid Newcomb. And Sid has been in the business for over 30 years. He grew up playing junior tennis. He played in college and played a short time professionally before turning to coaching. But Sid has a really unique perspective on what's going on with coaching education in this country, what the USPTA's role is. And now that the USPTA and USTA have formed a partnership what changes we can expect to see in the coming months and years in terms of the knowledge and the expectation that our tennis coaches are expected to have. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear this episode. Sid was uh, very candid uh, in his assessment of what's happening with coaching education here and what needs to happen to move U.S. tennis forward. So hopefully you guys will get as much enjoyment out of the conversation as I did. I want to remind all of you, if you haven't already, I hope you'll become a member of ParentingAces.com. We have four options for you. You can become a free member, which gives you access to a lot of the content on the site. But we also have three premium member options, a monthly option for $9.95, an annual option for $95.50, and kind of timely with this episode, a certified coaches option, which saves you even more money. And uh, again, all the premium options give you unlimited access to all of the content on parentingaces.com, as well as our podcasts, special events, things like the webinar we recently put on, and lots of discounts and special offers from various partners. So please take a look at that. The link will be in the show notes. And uh, so I hope you consider becoming a member if you haven't already. Also, if you're not following us on the various social media channels, please do that as well, because we share some really great information through our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram feeds, as well as on our YouTube channel. So be sure and follow us there. And those links are at parentingaces.com, easy to find. So now I hope you will sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation with Sid Newcomb. Sid Newcomb, I'm so excited to chat with you. Thanks so much for coming on the Parenting Aces podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So since you're a first timer with us, I'd love for you to give our audience a little bit of your history in tennis. Did you play as a kid? Did you play in college? What are you doing now? All right. Well, heck, that's a long story because I'm old. But anyways, when I was 10 years old, my family moved to South America to Chile. And guess what? They didn't have any American sports that I was playing as a 10-year-old. They didn't have basketball or football or baseball. They had soccer and tennis and rugby. So that's when I started playing tennis on the red clay. And I fell in love with it. My parents played a little bit, and we joined a club there, and that's where it all started. And I also learned Spanish without even realizing I was learning it. And funny enough, every job I've had has either to do with because I'm fluent in Spanish or because of tennis. And both of those 
started at age 10 in South America, Santiago, Chile. That wow, that's awesome. Yeah. And so you started playing as a kid. Obviously, you got pretty good. Yeah, I played I'm pretty good. And then, um, let's see, I, I lived there for three years. And then when moved back to the States, I also continued playing other sports. I just love playing sports. So in high school, I played um, tennis in the summers. And then I played on my high school basketball team and my high school soccer team. So I was never just fully devoted to tennis. Uh, throughout the juniors, but I did well enough to have, you know, I lived in Michigan where I graduated high school, had sectional rankings and um, then graduated from high school and pretty much had decided tennis was going to be my game. But I also, you know, had some success at basketball. So I wanted to go, well, right out of high school, I went to Michigan State um, and that was, you know, obviously I couldn't, you can only play one sport there. And um, that was in 80, well, that's a long time ago. Um, so my, my, my D1 experience at Michigan State wasn't that great tennis-wise. I was a little bit of a fish out of water coming from a very small uh, Christian high school to a very large uh, secular uh, college. But it's good. I was glad I got to be on the team. Uh, but I immediately transferred as a sophomore to a small school in Arkansas, the NAI school is pretty much a tennis power back then. It's called John Brown University. And what was great about going there is I was able to play both tennis and basketball. And that was, you know, that was like a dream for me. I thought college was all about playing sports and going to class was so that I could play sports, which now I realize is <laughs> upside down. <laughs> well, the tennis has served you well. It's okay. <laughs> all right. That's all and great. So, and then afterwards I graduated um, and I, you know, I wanted to continue. I knew I wasn't good enough to make a living at it, but I was, I had a national ranking in AI and, and I was like, okay, well, let's try this. So I went to play some of the satellite circuits in the U S. Um, and that back then it was, you know, it was tough. It's tough now to get a point, but back then you had to, those days you had to play three segments just to get to what's called the masters. And that's where you could win your first ATP point. So unfortunately I, I did okay. I won some matches in some of the segments, but I never won a match where I'd get a point. Um, but that was my experience. And I, I got, went all over on a very shoestring budget all around. Um, like a lot of people, I did that for like, you know, a year in, uh, before I started uh, coaching. And that's a fun story. So do you want me to tell that story real quickly? Please, yeah. I was at in Austin, Texas at a satellite stop. And I'd already lost, as I, you know, did quite frequently. <laughs> um, and you have to kind of hang around and, and try to scrape together some place to stay. And um, that was kind of the adventure of the whole thing, who you could stay with and who would feed you. <laughs> Anyways, I, that's where Nick Bolletieri was there with a, one of his young prodigies and and I stuck around and got to hit with his, uh, the, co the, the guy that he was coaching. And he said, well, if you ever, whenever you're done playing, you give me a call and I'll give you a job coaching. And I was like, oh, I stuck that in my back pocket. And uh, like, like a week later, I said, man, I could really uh, get it, use getting a job. So I called, um, I called the Nick Bolletieri Tennis Academy in Bradenton. This was right before it was sold to IMG. It was still just his thing. And I said, Hey, Nick said I could have a job. And they're like, Ooh, <laughs> for you. Hey, Nick's in Rome or something like that. 
So I had to like convince him, no, I really did meet him. He really did that. So that's, anyways, long story short, that's where my coaching started. Down in Bradenton. And and you haven't looked back since. Only job I ever had. I worked for Nick for seven years. They did a transition when they sold it to IMG. Um, most of those years I was in Europe as the startup, academy startup pro. So I had a lot of experience at, uh, coaching in the in different cultures in let's see the places i spent over a year at for and then i'd go to the next one i started in uh belgium brussels belgium and then uh hanover germany and then uh just outside of paris in france and then london england so those four stops over a six-year period and while i was in england i i had my first child and i realized quickly that being 30 weeks a year on the road was not conducive to the kind of father I wanted to be. So that's when I entered into the club business. And I came back to the U.S., found a job at a beautiful club in California, and spent 20 years there. Oh, my gosh. Like, who knows? I would spend my entire life. Raised all my children there, five children, with my wife. Until recently, uh, three years ago, the USPTA decided to move their their headquarters to the national campus to be closer with our allied partner, the USTA, and really try to get things right in terms of coaching and national governing body and all that stuff. And during that time, they said, hey, we need someone to oversee this whole testing and certification area. And that's when I came on board at the national staff. So I moved to Orlando, Florida, just uh, not even three years ago. Wow, that's a big move from California. Yeah, really big move. Yeah. And culturally, who knew that our, in one country we could have such different cultures? <laughs> sure, sure. So now you're with USPTA. You oversee the testing for the coaches right. at all levels of the sport. And I think what's so interesting about this for the Parenting Aces audience or potentially interesting, I think it's interesting, is you're really involved in what our coaches are learning and when they're able to put that USPTA behind their name and call themselves a certified coach, which, you know, at Parenting Aces, I've been promoting for several years now that when families choose a coach for their child, that it needs to be somebody that's got that certification. And so I think it's really interesting to have the opportunity to chat with you and really kind of delve into what that certification means. So can yeah. you kind of walk us through the process? What does it take for somebody to become USPTA certified? Absolutely. I would love to walk you through that process and for the audience. And also, as, as I'm describing sort of the process and the, the values of the education, is that most of our children that, that go through the college tennis experience don't come out the other side playing on the pro circuit. Right. Uh, in fact, most of them go on to other professions, but there is a great option for for our to to make a living as a tennis coach, not as a college coach, potentially a college coach, but also in the industry. You know, there's a lot of great jobs and it's a great career. Um and so my own son who played at college tennis has since graduated, gone through the certification and now is starting his career 
as a, a coach at a, at a, a private club in California. And who knows where that's going to lead? He may not may not be his whole career. He's a millennial. He might have ten different careers. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's where <he> but <laughs> so it is viable. So I will describe it as a. Um, you have to have a certain amount of experience. So <clears throat> the way it works now is that you have to have either uh, three summers as a coach or one year round, one full year, year round. So a lot of uh, like college kids, they'll coach in the summer camp. And so that's just where you gain your on-court experience as a prerequisite. You can't just, you have to have coach somewhere. And then, and then you start a, a education where the, there's different components. And one is a online course, which is about eight hours. And it's actually a USTA online course. And it's just a modules about how it's called coach youth tennis. And it's a basic instruction about how kids develop, um, how to coach them on the court when they're uh, red, orange, and green. And that's, a, that's one of the requirements. So besides your experiential hours, which are three summers or one year, you have to take this 10-hour course, which is called Coach Youth Tennis. And then you have to take another, what's called Professional Tennis Coaches Academy, another form of education, which is either face-to-face -face or online. You can choose that. And it's a one-day course that... Um, reviews all the stuff that you'll be tested on in your certification. So it, it, it's a, you go out on the court with a tester, which is really a coach developer or educator, and you practice group lessons, private lessons, talk about grips, which, and you talk about um, the written exam and the stroke production. So that's the, the required elements. Oh, what's new also this year is every USPTA coach has to be safe play and background checked as a requirement before you can even be certified. So that's a new thing with, in today's day and age that I think is, is just super important for an organization such as ourselves to say, all of our coaches are required to do this and to pass a background check. And it just adds to sort of the credibility for, for coaches working with kids, you know, especially right. with all the stuff going on. Sure. So that's a, that's a new requirement. And in fact, we just made the announcement that by <clears throat> January of 2021, all of our coaches have to go through this process so that even if you're like me, you know, 50 years old and been coaching for uh, 30 years, now it's a requirement that I have to do it by January 2021. And frankly, a lot of our coaches are going to say, I don't want to do that. And then we're going to say, fine, you can't be a member of the association because we're really kind of putting a stake in the ground that we're going to, our goal is to be visibly the safest trade organization uh, in the U.S. And that's a big step toward it. So anyway, enough about that. Those are our, those are our educational components. You do all that stuff, and then you show up for an in-face certification exam. And this could be kind of stressful for some pros, but more and more I think we've made it. We call it the certification experience because it takes two days. And let's say you come, Lisa, and you're coming for your certification exam. You meet another group. The groups are typically between six and 12 other applicants. They're called applicants. Um, and you do this training together. And then you then you get evaluated on the court of these components. You you give a group lesson to actual students, and you give a private lesson to an actual student. So, I I, I use a host club in Chicago, and I'm in Midtown, and they actually have a sign up sheet that says, "Hey, free lessons for USPTA, you know, applicant pros." So you actually get a it's usually adults, sort of intermediate range players, and you actually perform a, a group lesson and a private lesson in front of a tester. And you get evaluated. So, and then 
Those are uh, obviously a really important part of our industry. And we try to make those a real learning experience because everybody gets nervous if they're being evaluated, but also it's a great way to learn. So they get feedback on those those uh, two tests, or I call them evaluations. Mm-hmm. And then let's see, then you also have to hit the ball. You have to do what's called stroke production. You have to hit the ball cross court with top spin, down the line with underspin to targets. There's actually ropes on the court. And you have to meet a minimal standard of that's called your, you know, your kind of playing test. So those are three of the components. And then you have two tests that are online. One is a written test. It's 80 questions. And it's kind of basic about some rules of tennis. Um, there's a section on sort of the NTRP, kind of UTR, kind of rate how players are rated in, in the in the in the game. Um, there's a little section on strategy and tactics. There's a section, there's a few questions of the AD that are on red, orange, and green pathway just to demonstrate your understanding of the different courts and sizes and balls of rackets and all that stuff. There's some questions on equipment, you know, like gauges of string, of stiffnesses of rackets, speed of courts, clay court, grass court, hard court, um, just kind of demonstrating that you've gained some knowledge in the industry as a tennis professional. So that's the written test. And then there are also uh, two grip exams. In this, For example, they're multiple choice, and you, you'll be taking this thing online, and it'll show a picture of a student holding a certain grip, and you have to be able to identify that grip. That's a semi-Western grip, and then you have to be able to list uh, three advantages of the semi-Western grip is that you can hit topspin, it's good for disguise, and it's good for high balls. And then disadvantages of this grip is that it's hard to hit slice, you have a big grip change. So it's just a, knowledge, a grip uh, knowledge of the different uh, seven different grips. Um, and so those are the tested components. Uh, so it's pretty extensive um, in the way it's been. It's been like this for many, many years. And interestingly enough, it's changing as we go through accreditation, which is a whole nother topic. I'm not sure if we want to get into that, but I'll leave that with you. What questions, Lisa, do you have for your audience just out of that description of our process? Well, so what's interesting in listening to you talk about what these coaches are tested on is it sounds like it's pretty technical. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't hear anything about developmental pathways or college recruiting or um, understanding the junior competitive structure um, or anything about off-court fitness, nutrition, and the mental side of the game. So I'm curious if those are components that are going to be added or, you know, I, so one of my big gripes about, coaches in general, and this is very general, okay, because obviously there are many, many exceptions, is they don't have an understanding of what it takes for a player to go through the junior development process and be eligible in terms of ability to play college tennis at the level they desire to play. So, you know, there, I mean, which is why parenting aces exists, right? I I, I started parenting aces because nobody could help me help my kid reach his goal of playing college tennis. They couldn't tell us what tournaments he should be playing, um, you know, what his ranking needed to be, 
how to navigate to get him to the highest national tournaments and, you know, those kinds of things. And so I'm wondering if you see that as something that is USPTA's role, should be USPTA's role, et cetera. That's a great question. And I will say a couple of things. You're right on on the, the actual testing part to get your certification is limited to those sort of areas that you identified, sort of the rules, the technical, the grips, the stroke production. Um, there's some tactics that you, you show. How to teach a lesson is super important. But what it, what it doesn't evaluate, which are equally as important in terms of long-term development, are exactly those things. You know, the, the pathway, the competitive pathway versus recreational pathway, nutrition, athleticism. All those things are not a tested component. Now, once you're a certified member, you have a continued education requirement, which is not very hard, to be honest with you. It's only 12 continued education credits every three years, and we're talking about ramping that up. But during your continuing education, there's, of course, all kind of education on those things. It's just not packaged as part of certification. So Mm -hmm. I, I agree with you. I think there's a huge gap in what the teaching pro offers to a family in terms of juniors and what the family needs in terms of a pathway. It's almost hit and miss. And I'm, I'm with you. I navigated it going, you know, just asking people. Now, we had, we had a coach that also went through the experience. So it's, you know, that's what you look for. Well, how'd you do it? And then you ask 10 people how they did it. But no one's ever put it together except for maybe, you know, what you're trying to do is like, this is how you navigate this but it's not part of the coach's certification. It is part of the cert, the education that a coach can choose to receive. But right. I think that I, I think it, there's a demand for. I think the governing body, the USTA, has a ton of resources. It's just not really packaged to show someone. Here's how you can go about it. It's almost like you have to grab randomly. <laughs> well, part of the issue, and and it's interesting that we're having this conversation right now because I just hung up the phone with a journalist asking me questions about junior development and wanting, you know, hard answers to his questions. And as I said to him, you know, that's the beauty and the curse of our sport is there's no one answer to any question in tennis, right? There's no one pathway that works for every single player or every single family. Everybody's situation is different. And so it makes it really difficult to say, this is the pathway. This is the way you have to do it. Um, And, and again, it's, it's the beauty and the curse, but I think one of the frustrations as a family, and especially as the sport becomes more and more international, more and more expensive, um, fewer and fewer scholarships available to especially the U.S. players, especially on the men's side. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, there's this level of expectation that if my family hires you to coach my child, our child, that you're going to be able to guide us. And yeah. and in many, many cases, that's just not the case. The coach doesn't yeah. have the knowledge or experience. So, you know, one or, of the things the, that – go ahead. No, go ahead. You know, I was thinking or the expectations. So I think myself as a young coach, I'm so centered on – and even the coaches that work for me when I was director of tennis at a club that – 
they're really, you know, they're good at what they do when they give a lesson or when they run a junior practice or the competitive, whatever, but they're just focused on getting paid and making a living. And so, you know, you, you have the same coach that gives a private lesson to a young girl from age, you know, 12 to 18 when she started getting serious about tennis. And then she graduates high school and she doesn't end up playing in college. And the parents are thinking, you know, what did I just invest giving her lessons with you for six years? And then the coach, I've seen it. The coach goes, oh, I didn't know you wanted to play college tennis. You know, so <laughs> it's like, well, and then the parents are like, well, you know, I'm just I'm doing you, a major oh. eye roll here. I just yeah, want you and, to know. And, and so I think that's our, our lack of the industry say, hey, coaches, if you have a regular student, you know, and, and a lot of us do, a lot of us have students that we work with, maybe not six straight years, but on and off again for, you know, the bulk of their, their formative years. We should say what, with the parents, or, you know, early on or at least sometime in the process, okay, what's our plan here? What's our expectation? And yeah. then develop some – instead of just focus on, oh, I have a private with Lisa at 3 p.m. And then the next week, oh, I have a private with Lisa at 3 p.m. And then all of a sudden you're, you know, two years down the road and, yeah, Lisa's improved, but she didn't have a practice plan. She didn't have a nutrition plan. She didn't have a fitness plan. So she's just improved by the one hour a week that you've given her instead of – how how she could how much she could have improved if she had an entire plan saying at the end I'd like the opportunity to see if you know if if, if she has enough God given ability or whatever to see if she could play college tennis mm-hmm. and then you're like oh holy smokes I got to do more than give her a lesson a week I might have to bring in other people but anyways I think that's sort of this communication sometimes you think oh the parents are just dropping the kid off because they want their kid involved in tennis and then six years later you got nothing to show for it well. I gave her a lesson. I gave her a great lesson, you know, every week for six years. Right. <laughs> and and for some families, that is the expectation right. for sure. You know, it's it's a way for the kid to get outside, have exercise, learn a skill that she's going to be able to carry into the rest of her adult life. I mean, and those are all huge, huge benefits of the sport. But for the families that are committed to the sport in terms of college and maybe even beyond college, you know, it's interesting to me that the certifying organizations really are not training the coaches to handle that. It, the onus is then on the coach once they become certified to gain the education, knowledge, experience, uh, yeah. maybe through mentors um, or other methods to be able to service the family in that way. And, you know, I think for me, and and this is where I have an issue, you know, I, I want to, of course, tell families, you need to insist that your coach be a certified coach through one of these organizations. But at the same time, I know plenty of phenomenal developmental coaches out there who don't have the letters after their name and who right. have learned on the job, you know, through pairing themselves with incredible mentors that have helped guide them and teach them over the years. So I'm wondering if, if USPTA and and in its partnership with USTA, you know, is there any talk of developing levels of certification or, you know, some sort of designation that says, well, this coach is USPTA certified, but, you know, is only in her first year of coaching. And so maybe doesn't have that, you know, that experience or that knowledge yet, but is on a pathway to gaining that. Right. Well, that's a, that's a super good point. And 
Um, that's what when I alluded to earlier, this accreditation. So we are really just rolling out, and this is why I took the job, because I, I saw this exciting, real paradigm shift. Probably the biggest thing, and you know, I've been in coaching now in the U.S. for oh, a long time, 27 years. This is the biggest news, is that the national governing body, the USTA, says, look, we have to raise our standards. And to do that, we have to have better and more knowledgeable coaches. And so they looked to the USPTA and said, okay, you have these standards, but where are we getting? They, they're seeing the holes just like you are, just like your parents are, just like, mm -hmm. wow, these are. And so actually, this is, instead of talking about, there's actually stuff being done, which is <laughs> monumental. So what's happening now, and, and, and I alluded to sort of the safe play, and the, those are those are kind of outcomes of this agreement. But as, a, as an organization that is accredited by the USTA, starting in 2021, our, the pathway I just described about how you become certified is a monumental shift. And it's starting, if you're an applicant, so let's say you come out of college, let's say you have my experience, you play college tennis, you love the sport, you dink around on the pro tour, but you can't make a living at it, so you're going to coach. So you're coming into the industry as an applicant starting in January of 2021. You're going through a pathway that includes 1,500 hours before wow. you receive your certification. So this is going to take us from, if you just put on paper sort of our, our required education and our required uh, three summers or one year, that kind of thing, this is going to take us to like the leaders in the world industry instead of the minimal. Right now, we're probably the least amount of shown education before you can be certified. Mm -hmm. So starting in 2021, we're going to have a lot more checks and balances for someone's career. So they're actually going to be coaching, like you said, in a, in a, at a club or at a parks and rec or, or for a team while they're members of the USPTA working toward their professional certification. So they may not. So, yeah, it's definitely going to raise the standard of an incoming coach, because right now you just get coaches that get certified. And some, like you said, tons of good ones don't um, because they say, well, I'm already better than this person. Right. So why would you know, why would I associate myself? So this is going to really raise the standard of the incoming pro, the new pro. And so that's going to in turn say, well, if their standard, I, honestly, I think it's going to change the culture of clubs because the clubs that have tennis directors have been there a while. They're not learning new stuff. I take it from me. They're just trying to meet payroll and make their members happy. So sure. their new pros are going to go through all this education in there, and they're going to have to demonstrate uh, programs at their club, pathways at their club that they've never done before. Now the tennis directors who are going to be signing off on their hours as their official mentors are going to be like, wow, I'm really going to have to institute some of this new stuff just so my – assistant pro can get certified. So I think it's and that no one's even talking about that. I'm just saying that's going to be really elevating the standards of club programming. So it's really an exciting time. It's, it's and I'm just, I'm not just making this up, Lisa. This is like monumental. <laughs> oh, I agree with you and I you know, the conversation has been going on for so many years now about where's our next male number 1. You know, yeah. and when the Williams sisters retire, what's going to happen on the w women's side? Now, we do have some incredible women coming up through the ranks. So I'm not as worried about that. But, you know, it's it's all the blame has been, oh, the kids are lazy. They don't want to work. The parents, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But nobody talks about the coaching and 
Well, they do talk about it. They just don't talk about it publicly. <laughs> they talk about it in right. whispers and, you know, behind closed doors about we've got to raise the standard of the coaching in this country if we expect to produce world number ones. And I, I'm really happy to hear that yeah. you guys are, are implementing change there. Um, I mean, there are some phenomenal coaches out there, as I've said, and I think they are phenomenal in spite of the coaching certification and the organizations, not because of it. And right. that's a shame. I mean, it, you know, our organization should be there with the goal of producing the best coaches in the world. We have more players in this country than any other place in the world. We have more money going toward the sport than any other country in the world. And it's really sad that we have kind of fallen behind. Um, so I'm thrilled to hear that news coming yeah, out of USPTA. I, super exciting. And I will say that over the years of my career, what the USPTA has been really good about is offering and, and putting together like the best coaches and forums and conventions and all that stuff so that if you wanted to, to get education in certain areas, it really helps you. And so that's where a lot of good coaches that we currently have come from. They're just getting education from each other. But honestly, there's the, the holes are in, in one of them is systematic. So let's say you're talking to your, your constituents, what they want to hear there. It doesn't really pay to be a coach of a junior going, you know, through the, the, the way the structure is now. Because who wants to go spend an entire weekend two hours away from their club with their up-and-coming girls 14-year-old or boys 14-year-old player? I mean, it just doesn't pay. They could mm -hmm. stay at home, work five private lessons on a Saturday, and take Sunday off, which everybody needs time off. But the way it is now is like every weekend you got to go. You know, and that's, that's very few people can afford it. One, for the, the parents, they're like, I can't pay a coach. So they go themselves and then there's no coaching. So the coaching is so um, training based instead of like, then you get to a college, well, high school experience, your your coach may not know anything about tennis, but that's right. when you get to a college experience. Then all of a sudden you're faced with the first on-court coaching. And it's like, wow, this really makes a difference. Now I know I'm working on this shot. Because I have to use it against this type of player. But you never get that in juniors unless you're the cream of the crop and the best of the best and the USTA is investing in you. Because right. your coach at home, they just don't have the wherewithal. It's not that they don't want to. They'd probably rather go watch you play. But they got to make their money. And they don't want to spend the whole weekend just, you know, watching you play. And very few parents can say, hey, I'll give you whatever you're going to make on the weekend to come coach my son or daughter at the girls' 12 sectionals. Right. So that, those are the things that are also kind of gapping. And and what do you see as a fix for that? Honestly, I because this conversation, you know, I participate in all kinds of forums on social media, and this conversation comes up all the time. Um, you know, on the coaches' side, you know, we can't afford to travel unless we charge the parents the same as what we would make staying home and teaching lessons, just as you said, and the the number of families that can afford to do that are limited. And if we don't want tennis to be perceived as a sport only for the elite, then there has to be a paradigm shift again, as you said. So how do we solve for this? Well, that's a great question, man. If you could answer that question and tell me without telling anybody else, we could sell it and retire. <laughs> <laughs> because it is really tricky. And I think some of it is, like you said, 
maybe changing the way programming and clubs are done. Like most clubs, just like mine was for 20 years, you know, you'd have the junior program twice a day and then the high-end kids or high-end not uh, the player development kids, they do maybe three drills a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Maybe they'd sprinkle in a private lesson once a week. And if they weren't at a tournament, they play match play on Saturday or something. So now I'm thinking – you know, with the, the new type of coaching logic that I'm seeing here in player development here at the USTA. The, and basically, when you get to the highest level, you're competing all the time. Your practice sessions aren't like, okay, let's just, you know, spend 20 minutes working on your forehand. You sprinkle those in, but you're competing all the time. So what if our junior program switched to, you know, fast competition formats most of the time and less technical-based, you know, once they get to these higher levels? And that's what you said, coaches' education, because we just mm -hmm. keep doing the same thing we have always done. Is like, okay, you do your drills on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, your lesson on Tuesday, and then go have fun at your tournament. No one's going to go watch you. So what if they <laughs> right. said, yeah? So what if you said, okay, you know, flip that, and now you've already reached playing sectionals, you know. But obviously, this is where the argument is: you can't ignore their technical development, you know, from age 13 to 17, all that stuff. But what if you flipped it and say? okay, on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday now, we're competing and playing, and the coach gets to watch you, you know, and then um, you're going to have one drill a week, and then, you know, you can go to the tournaments you want. I'm still not going, but at least the coach is there. But then that here's, the, here's another thing that has to flip. Not only coaches have to learn how to coach that way, the parents have to learn that I'm paying this coach not to have a basket of balls and feeding them, you know, their fast-paced drills and their energy or feeding them their private lesson but I'm paying this coach and I trust that what they're coaching while these kids are competing against each other in match scenarios or short set formats or fast forwards or whatever during their training is just as important. Right. Right. And, and I mean, we've talked about that on this podcast many times in the past and I've written articles about it and I've had coaches write articles about it and it is an issue and and it goes back again to as you said at the beginning of this communication right so if a coach is going to set up their program in that manner it's crucial that the coach communicate to the families this is how our program works this is what you're signing up for understand it you know ask me questions and i'll be happy to clarify but understand it and don't expect that you're going to see what every other club out there is doing. We're doing right. things differently. And this is a, a facet of junior coaching that is sorely lacking. And, you know, it's the communication piece. And I, I talk about it all the time. Um, right. But, you know, tennis coaches as a whole look at the parents as the enemy. And, <laughs> right. you know, we're the ones writing your checks. So, um, you can fire us and we can fire you. It works both ways, but we've got to communicate with each other. I totally agree. And I, you know, on the coaching end, in terms of even the, the juniors development, like I said, their first real experience of on-court coaching usually, not in all cases, but usually comes when they get to college. Right. And I remember when I coached, you know, the six years of a Division II college coach, the freshmen, you know, if they were, especially if they were good, they would almost be combative at the beginning because they never had that. So you go on the court and say, look, I just want you to kick your first serve into their backhand. Okay. Cause you're as a coach, you've seen that they're having trouble with their high backhand or whatever. 
And the the top kids, their freshman year, especially in the fall in the tournament season, they'd argue with you. It's like, I never do that. I always go big on, you know, at 30. I was like, wait a minute. Cause they, <laughs> and so they're, they're, they're not used to having someone coach them while they play matches. Maybe a debrief after, you know, cause the USTA roles are set up like that. And it's so valuable to have a coach during match play give you immediate feedback tactically because most kids don't they're not thinking about their opponent they're thinking about themselves and a coach is thinking about dude if you just slice it to their forehand they got that big western grip they can't hit it but the yeah. kid's just like oh my back end's not working man. forget your back end just slice it to their forehand yeah. and so that whole tactical realm of how to manage matches doesn't even start in juniors you know it's, it's way late and right. so i think if you incorporate that in your junior program and get away from the basket, say, this is not just a drill. This is, we're going to just match play three days a week, you know, in whatever format it is. And so that we can do this tactical stuff, it might be the next step, but someone's got to do it and produce a champion or else no one else is going to follow, fall in line. Right. Right. <laughs> the same thing. Yeah. But I mean, when you were coming up in junior tennis, when I was coming up in junior tennis, we played matches all the time, not just at tournaments. Yeah. I mean, we yeah. played matches, well, at least sets every single day. And yeah. I, you know, this is another topic that I've discussed ad nauseum here is the lack of match play that our kids are getting. But, you know, another idea that was shared with me a few years ago is the idea of the coaches teaching the kids to self-coach. So they play a practice set or practice match. And on the side change, they talk to each other about how the other one can improve. So for example, if I'm playing you, Sid, and we sit down after, you know, at the three, four break, and Mm -hmm. I say to you, you know, Sid, you're serving short to my forehand and I'm returning for a winner every single time. Why are you doing that? Why don't you try serving deeper into the box or try a body serve for a change and see what happens. And you say to me, you know, Lisa, when you're serving, you're dropping your head and that's why you're double faulting so much. You know, why don't you try keeping your head up for another split second and see if that helps. And it becomes a way for these kids to learn about the tactical piece of the game and not only for their own benefit, but again, as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, maybe they're going to go into a career as a coach later on. And, you know, this is great training for them. I love that idea. I love the peer to peer coaching. I, I haven't been successful with it. Maybe I gave up on it too soon, but you know, you have these, and here's the deal. When you and I grew up, this you alluded to this, we would go play tennis and get sets in every day and we wouldn't be paying a pro to watch us or do right. a lesson. Our parents would drop, you know, I just ride my bike over there for crying out loud and Me too. Someone, someone ready to play and hit on the wall if they weren't until someone showed up. But now our kids, mine and probably most of ours in our culture are so scheduled. The only time they're on the court is when they're at their tennis program. And when you know, get them to go play extra sets. They, you know, that means they have to get away from their screen or whatever. So it's how do you get, you know, that, I think that ship has sailed where they're going to play sets on their own. I mean, maybe not, but I think for the majority, they're only going to show up to tennis when it's their time. And unfortunately that's the time when 
their parents are paying for them to be there with a coach. So I think that the, the, the shift has to come with, okay, coaches, you, we don't get those 10 sets a week that they're, other, you know, kids in the 70s and 80s playing with. So how do we get that built in so that, you know, they're learning their tactics along with their technique? I don't know. Maybe peer-to-peer coaching. I mean, that's a great idea. You know, I know. I like, loved it when it was presented to me. And, and I also have to say that, you know, the onus is on the parents as well, because if we get together, we parents get together and say, hey, you know, two Saturdays a month, you know, the first and third Saturday of the month, unless it's a huge tournament that we all are going to play, we're going to not play a tournament and we're going to bring our kids to the park or the club or wherever. And, you know, on Saturday, I'm going to bring the pizza so they have something to eat it for lunch in between. And on Sunday, you're going to do it. And we're just going to let the kids play sets. They can play singles. They can play doubles, blah, 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 the whole weekend. And, you know, wouldn't that be awesome if we got to that place? Oh, man. That I have suggested that a million times. I don't know. Listeners, if if you are doing that with other families in your community, please, please, please let me know. I want to have you on the podcast to talk about it because it's so simple and it's free. I mean, well, you may have to pay for court time, but... That's nothing compared to what travel to a tournament costs or what a lesson costs. I totally agree. And not only that, the chance, if you can get your kids, even the high, the kids that are playing sectionals, you know, the ones that are going for national, going to college to play, if at a young age you can build into their life, tennis, where success is defined differently than wins and losses, then it becomes much more powerful in their journey of what a win means and what a loss means. Because right now, most kids that I see, they're coming through the, the high, you know, development tennis, their only definition of success is wins and losses. And that's both, I think, you know, from a personal development, I think that's detrimental or can be. And secondly, they're either going to leave the game or or become really, really good at it. There's no – and. The, that's another why we have so, you know, a lot of people leaving this pathway of development is because, well, the only success is wins or losses, and I'm just not quite going to get there. And there's mm-hmm. so much more of that. And if you could spend a Saturday with, you know, six kids in your area that all play junior tournaments and just play, hey, go play a set or go play fast four against four different people. Yeah, of course you keep score. Of course you try to win. But afterwards, we're, we're just going to, you know, whatever you do, have the barbecue or we're just going to you know, take off and say goodbye, whatever it is. But it's not, no one's going to say, okay, did you advance? What round did you get to? How'd you do in the backdrop? Because for that few, you know, two and a half hours on Saturday afternoon, success is defined just by playing. Oh my gosh. I think that would be a huge win in junior tennis. Me too. And so how do we get coaches? Because if the coach isn't there, the coach isn't getting paid. So a lot of coaches see that progression as having a negative impact on their ability to have a career in the sport, right? Um, right. And so I, that's the conflict. And right. the coaches don't encourage that type of activity because it doesn't put money in their pocket. And yeah. somehow we have to find a solution that works for the coaches and for the families. I agree. I think that that's a key. 
And I think maybe with our, our new pathway of development, coaches will find, you know, they have to be able to make a living for what's beyond just their immediate lessons and their immediate program. It's like when you're a tennis director, the number one job you have is member satisfaction. And so your your budget can lose money in some areas if it makes your members happy. I think we have to have that coach's framework on with their the people they're coaching, especially their juniors. Their your number one is how satisfied is your junior with their experience, and that includes their parents mm-hmm. as they're going through it. And if that if their satisfaction rating is higher, well, they'll continue doing whatever they do that they pay for, but they'll stay in longer. Or they won't go from coach to coach. That's another thing is the coaches think, you know, they're always looking at their back to see, oh, you know, if my girl doesn't make it to the quarters, you know, she's going over to John's club next week and look for another coach. And that's the whole thing between parents and coaches. <laughs> and I'm, well, on that's both another, sides, I'm a coach and a parent. Right. But I mean, that's another piece of the communication right? Is there has to be the communication between the coach and the parents about how much to weight wins and losses and how much to weight the process of development, the pathway that the coach has laid out for this particular player. And again, getting back to what these coaches are tested on in order to become certified, that's not part of it. They are not tested on developing a pathway for a player. And to me, that needs to be part of the education. And maybe, I don't know, I'm just throwing this out there, Sid, but maybe USPTA needs to include a specific certification for those coaches working with junior players versus adult players or competitive players versus recreational players, Um, you know, and, and of course there's crossover there, but it's very different as you alluded to when you're coaching somebody like me, who's just playing league tennis just to get outside and hit tennis balls and get exercise and satisfy her competitive spirit versus a kid who is working to be number one in the country and, you know, get recruited. Yeah. So I will I will forecast. I t- talked a little bit about our new pathway to certification. That it, the the specialties that a coach can choose as they begin to get closer to their certification. So there's going to be a special t- specialty in uh, junior development, a specialty in um, uh, adult rec players. So there's going to be some more specialized education. Um, as you move toward your your level of certification, you know, the, going on this 1,500 hours. And so that's an, another exciting thing. Um, it's still going to be general enough for that you take a young coach that's not sure where their specialty should be. It'll be more like in college. You know, you, you kind of have general ed classes and uh, these, uh, you know, like a liberal art, arts college, I should mm-hmm. say. And these apply to all of coaching, uh, basic nutrition. You know, I'm so excited about how much stuff we're going to, have our new applicants learn, and, and they're they're still they're going they'll they'll be members of the USPTA. They just won't be certified professionals, but they'll be members because it's going to take a while. You know, they're going to be out right. of, out of college or or wherever they are in their career stage. Maybe even we have a ton of, of of pros in the association that you know they 
this is their second job. They teach weekends and evenings. And so they, it might take them, you know, two years to get through this certification, but they're still members of the association as they're learning this stuff. And I'm, I'm telling you, it's so exciting to think of. I mean, I, I said in a, in a meeting of this last week, I was like, man, I wish I was starting over because the stuff that you get a, you get a chance to, to learn as your elective, like, wow, I'm going to learn the nutrition for junior development. Holy smokes, that's a whole series of courses online I'm going to learn. So there's, there's a bunch of courses that are face-to-face um, and then a bunch of them that are online because 300 hours have to be off, you know, not on-court experience mm-hmm. of the 1,500 hours. So you know, that's what I said. It really is a, a paradigm shift, and you're going to start seeing more of it. In fact, um, this week the NCAAs start, and Tennis Channel is going to uh, air our first joint ad with the USTA uh, national governing body uh, and the accredited association, the USPTA, starts forecasting because we really want the 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 problem with our association and with other certifying associations. We've never influenced those that hire. So sure, some some clubs say, "Oh, you have to be a member of this organization, this organization, because we need your insurance." But they never really care. They don't even know what you. If you're a country club and you're golf driven, you really don't know. You know, the the general manager says, "Hey, just." Take care of tennis. You know they don't know who you're, uh, who you're certified by, what that means, what the levels mean. But now we're we're hoping with our our being accredited by the national governing body, we'll start influencing the people that hire coaches, and that will say, okay, now our standard, you have to have a one of these USPTA coaches because their standard is that much, you know, they're, they're putting this much into their education. So I, I it's, it's certainly, Lisa, not something that's going to turn overnight, but I can, you know, categorically say that this is the biggest shift in coaching in the U.S. in terms of club pros, parks and rec, you know, the most of us, the 90% of us pros, this is the biggest chef, shift in, 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 in my entire career. And I've been in it like 30 years now, almost 30 years. So it really is exciting. It's all about the education, not so much about about what numbers after your name or whatever, because you have to go through the education just to get there. Right. No, I think it's amazing. And I I think it's a really big step for tennis in this country. I think it's going to be really fascinating to watch, you know, the kind of unfolding of coaching development. We talk all about player development, but now we, we've got coach development and how cool that there's going to be a focus on that. And I'm, I'm very hopeful that that's going to mean that the level of coaching, the quality of coaching in this country is going to climb exponentially over the next few years. I hope, Sid, that you know, we can do this again, maybe in six months or, you know, and and kind of check in and see what's going on. And um, maybe, you know, one of the coaches that's kind of getting started with their certification process, maybe will join us on a podcast and talk about what that looks like. Um, I, I think there's a lot of potential here. And, and again, I'm, I'm really thankful to you for coming on and sharing with all of us what's happening from the coaching side, because I, again, this has been kind of a, a sore subject um, yeah, with I the parenting cases audience. So I, I like that you and I are on the same page here. Absolutely. And I'm a, I'm a parent for, first and foremost, and I navigated this whole, 
you know, scene of how, what do you do with your kid? How do you get him into college? Which school, you know, what level? And, and it, it wasn't easy. And I'm, I'm a tennis pro. So I, I understand these gaps. And maybe even part of our elective courses, because we're developing them now, could be from a parenting angle, you know, to have, hey, you could take Please. these courses on how, <laughs> yeah, it, it, uh, you got to help me develop this curriculum because I'm getting excited about it. I'm in. I'm <laughs> <All> in. <right. laughs> yeah, I think that would be awesome. Um, well, any last words you want to leave us with? Because we're coming to the end of our hour here. Well, thank you very much for having me. I, I love that that parents can listen in and, and get some encouragement, some feedback, and, and see ideas that you agree with or disagree with. Um, the USPTA, we're making a huge effort in this. Um, so we're just, and we know that we have a long way to go in raising, but that's our mission statement is to elevate the standards of tennis coaches. And so we're, we're going for it. And this is, this is new stuff and it's exciting. It's not going to happen overnight, but we're working hard at it. So that's the, the last word I could say about it. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Sid Newcomb, thank you so much. And to my listeners, thank you so much for tuning in and we'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, I hope you'll share the podcast with your tennis community. For all the information you need to navigate the junior and college tennis journey, be sure to check out parentingaces.com.